0: I am statements, the various I am statements in the book of John, and we've been doing this as a way of considering how it is that Jesus is disclosing himself to us. What is it it that we are to know and believe about Jesus? That's what I've been telling us the last few weeks, why we're looking at these passages, but but one of the things, one of the reasons why we're looking at this I, I haven't mentioned, and something that's actually very important for us to know, is that These uh, I am statements don't just kind of plop down in the middle of, of nothingness, right? They're not silos that just are there for us to extrapolate cognitive information about Jesus. That they actually come in the midst of conversation and of relationship. Now, oftentimes, Jesus is being approached by people who have questions or maybe are questioning him Or are are seeking to follow him and so he has these I am statements as responses to these people be them Pharisees or his own followers And that's actually important for us to know particularly in our passage today because Jesus as he says I am the door as he will in John 10 today Is saying this in response to some of the circumstances and situations that are confronting not only him but also his disciples And so it's important for his disciples to know that he is the door, and it's important for us to know as well. And so let's go ahead and begin our reading in verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, the other day, my family and I went on our very first family Virginia hike. So uh, we've been told by maybe not quite all of you, but enough of you that we need to go on a hike. And so, uh, you know, do you like to hike? And it's like, no, I have tennis shoes. Does that count? So, um, so uh, we decided we're gonna take you up on this uh, encouragement. And so we loaded the kids in the car and we drove out to Botata and we went on the hike at uh, Roaring Run Falls. So maybe some of y'all have done this hike. Um, and we, we had an idea of what to expect, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're not that newbies at this. We've been out in the woods before, right? We, we get out of our car and we see some of the things that we we are expecting to see, you know, a sign greeting us, telling us where the path is, right? At, at Roaring Run, there's there's the longer path that goes, I think it's like four, four miles-ish or so. And so we had the kids, so we decided to go on the shorter path along the river and and we're walking through and, and we're seeing all the things we would expect to see on this hike through the woods, right? The, the water and the, the sound of the water over the, the rocks and, and the waterfalls and the trees and all the birds and, you know, the sound that makes as you're walking along this path, right? All the things that you would expect to find. But there were two things that I didn't expect to see on this hike. Um, If you've done this, hike, you know that at the turn, uh, when you get to the end and you have to turn back, it it turns at the waterfall. And so uh, at, at this particular one, there's steps that go up the side and you get onto this platform, and it only goes about halfway up the waterfall. And, uh, and so you're standing there, you're looking up, you're looking up at the top, and it's not that far away. It, it looks like if you could just climb a little bit higher, you could get to the very top of the waterfall. But before you can put your foot down on the rock, you are greeted by this big sign that says, danger, do not go forward. And in case you're, you're still kind of debating, it actually says at the bottom, people have died. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, I really wasn't thinking my tennis shoes could get me up to the top anyway, but, but now I'm convinced that we just need to go ahead and turn around, right? Like, Cole, don't go any further. Let's, let's go back. So, so we make the turn. That was the first thing I wasn't expecting, right? People have died. That, that wasn't the first thing. Uh, the second thing I wasn't expecting is as we're walking back, We're walking back and we decide to take a different part of the trail. We didn't go over the river and over the bridges and all those sorts of things. We're now going through the woods to get back to our car. And as we're walking, it's all the same, right? The beauty and the wonder. I mean, we're having great conversation and fun. And and then we come to this other sign. But this one's not nailed into the ground and it hasn't been painted. It's actually caution tape on the trees. Okay, so this, this is definitely not expected, right, in the middle of the woods. And so I approached it a little bit closer, and, and I can't really tell what, why it would be there, because it doesn't look like there's anything dangerous. There doesn't look like we should be on caution about anything around us. So it's just some, you know, twigs and rocks and stuff. But then we got a little bit closer, and I could read, written on the caution tape said, Copperheads nesting. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, so, <laughs> so I can guarantee you I didn't, like, go, oh, I don't really think that's true, right? Like, I'll just kind of duck underneath and maybe take a look. Maybe mom and dad's snake are kind of off, you know, slithering around, getting some food, and, and he'll be, no, right? Like, we're like, get away. <laughs> um, let's go, kids. Let's get out of, let's heed this warning. Let's heed this caution. Now, as I was reflecting about this later, uh, the thing that, I realized was that uh, the first warning, the first caution sign I probably didn't really need, right? Like I knew better than to try and scale the cliff and get to the top of the waterfall, but that second one was vitally important because it would have been so easy to just take a couple steps off the trail and be immersed in danger. Right, to get lost in the beauty and the wonder of the creation and all of a sudden, unbeknownst to us, to be in the midst of danger. And so I needed that warning. I needed that caution. And Jesus' disciples need that same sort of warning in our passage. You see, there is danger approaching And there are threats to them in this passage that they don't even know about. They are unaware of. Threats in the midst of what seems to be good and beautiful things. Threats in the midst of following Jesus. They are in for danger. And so Jesus is warning them. He's warning them. Before he ever says what it means that he is the door, he is going to warn them about the impending danger. Not just for them, but also for us. You see, because that's how danger works, right? It's, it's actually in the midst of the goodness and the beauty, right? We become so focused on it, right? Maybe, maybe you just got back from vacation. All you can think about is the beach, how great it was. Or maybe you just spent a day, I don't know, like maybe yesterday at the lake. And, you, you know, it was a great time with friends and family. And so it's so easy for us to fixate on what is good and beautiful. And we are completely unaware that there is something threatening our safety. And so we need Jesus to warn us. And before he tells us why we need this warning, before he tells us that he is the door, he tells us why we need this warning. And that's where we're going to begin, that Jesus warns us. And the first reason why we need warning has to do with our identity, our identity. To Jesus, Jesus we are sheep. Uh, that, that's one of the main characters in this passage, sheep, and that's us. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know very much about sheep, right? Like, uh, the... the the extent of my knowledge of sheep is like the little animals stuffed animals that my kids have and when we go to the petting zoo and when we go to the petting zoo I'm the dad that's like ah oh, mom you can go hang out in the with the sheep right like i don't need them climbing all over me and so so our idea of sheep might simply be from these sorts of circumstances and situations and so maybe we think of sheep as these cute cuddly animals they're soft and you know well It'd be easy for us to think that when Jesus calls us sheep, that he's doing so to call us cute and cuddly and soft and sweet, but actually, it's not very flattering. It's not very flattering. When Jesus in the Bible calls us sheep, it's not to prop us up. Now, since I don't know very much about sheep, I have to depend on someone else who does. So there's a man named Philip Keller who wrote a book called A Shepherd's Reflection on Psalm 23. Some of you have read this book. Um, So Psalm 23, it's one of the most famous psalms in all of the Psalter, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lays me down beside still waters, right? He leads me out of the valley of death. It's a wonderful passage. And so Philip Keller, this man who, who was a shepherd and had spent much of his life around animals, he reflects upon this psalm from the lens of a shepherd. And this is what he says about sheep. He says that sheep are given to wandering aimlessly that when it comes to finding food, they're very uncreative. They'll follow the same path towards desolate places time and again, even when there is good forage just off the path. They can be both timid and stubborn. They're frightened at the most simple of things. They're utterly defenseless. They're weak and foolish. Sheep have even been known to walk into fire. (laughs) Like, that's not very smart. Um, (laughs) Left to themselves, they will die left to themselves they will die and when jesus says this about us when he calls us sheep he's saying spiritually that is who we are that spiritually left to ourselves we will die that we're being told that we are dependent creatures that we are spiritually dependent creatures And so we need to be warned because spiritually we're more prone to ignore the good places of pasture for the place of destruction. And so Jesus is warning us about who we are. We're sheep. But he's not just warning us because of who we are, he's also warning us about our situation. You see, because we're sheep, we're now threatened. right? If we're spiritually dependent people, then it's easy for those who are enemies and seeking our destruction to actually threaten us. And that's what happens. Jesus describes the threat in our passage as thieves and robbers. There are three main characters in this passage. There's the door, that's Jesus. We'll we'll get to what that means in a minute. There's the sheep, that's us. And then there are the thieves and the robbers. And we see them showing up in verses 1 and verses 8, and in verse 10, we're told that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. They're seeking our destruction. Okay, but who are these robbers and thieves and those who are seeking our uh, harm? Well, in the context of this passage, it's the Pharisees. See, this is where it actually is really important to understand that this is coming in the midst of a story. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who has been born blind. Probably many of you are familiar with this story. He heals a man that has been born blind. And so this man, he's going around, right? I can see now. He's praising God. It's amazing. And the Pharisees come and they go, who did this? And he goes, Jesus did. And the Pharisees, instead of responding with rejoicing and praising God, they they actually instead go, well, we don't know who this Jesus is. We don't know where he's from. He's a sinner. That's actually what they call him. They say, this man is a sinner. Okay, why are they doing this? Why are the Pharisees seeking to discount and discredit what this blind man who now can see, why are they seeking to discredit what he has said? Well, the reason is, is because they are seeking to use their religious influence and their religious authority to threaten these people who might follow after Jesus. They are seeking to use their influence to actually turn them away from Jesus. And it actually works at times. Because if you know that story, you know that the man that was blind that could now see wasn't the first person that they went to talk to. They went and talked to his parents first. And the parents, when asked and questioned, how did this happen? They go, we, we don't know. Go, go talk to him. He's of age. That's what they say. They totally pass the buck. It's, it's unbelievable. And why do they pass the buck? Well, John gives us this little kind of uh, parenthetical note in John 9. They passed the buck. They they would not align themselves with Jesus because they feared what the Pharisees would do. And so this negative influence that they are seeking to have upon God's people is actually working. They are discounting Jesus in the hopes that people would not follow him. That is the threat. You see, this threat that comes to God's sheep is a threat that comes from from that which seeks to lead us from the very thing that we need, and that is Christ. But what makes this so dangerous is that the threat doesn't look like one. I mean, think about the Pharisees, right? They're the religious leaders of the day. They don't look like a threat. They actually look like they have all the answers. They don't look like they would lead you astray, but that they would lead you to what is good and what is right. But in reality... They are thieves and robbers. They are a threat to God's people because they are threatening to rob them of what they need. And the same is true of us. Now, hopefully it's not the religious leaders, (laughs) Uh, right? Uh, Please don't call me a thief and a robber after the service. Um, But hopefully it's not the religious leaders that are threatening to lead us astray. But in our day, it's actually things that are much more subtle. It's much more subtle. It's, it's those things that actually look very good but just twisted the right way actually threaten to displace Jesus as center in our life. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, I had a conversation with a man years ago. This was before I was in the pastorate. Y'all don't know him. Um, so we're having this conversation. We're at a marriage retreat. And, uh, and I was newly married. I think Kat and I had been married for maybe about six months or a year. And this man says to me, he says, I only wish my wife would look at me like I hung the moon. I only wish. If only she would look at me like I hung the moon. Now, as a newly married man, I walked away thinking, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I think Kat kind of does look at me that way, so I'm okay. No, but, you know, I walked away <laughs> thinking. She doesn't really. <laughs> she knows better. Um, but, but I have walked away thinking, that doesn't sound all that bad, Right? I mean, that a husband would want his wife to affirm him and love him and care for him and cherish him, that sounds really good. But then I started thinking about it a little bit later, and it was the beginning of his sentence that started to give me concern. If only. I only wish. And what I started to realize is that this man was very dangerously close to taking something that was very good and very sweet and turning it ever so slightly so that he was in danger of making what was central in his life the affirmation of his wife rather than Jesus. And that's the things that happen in our life all the time. It's amazing. The threats don't come from the things that we are so clear. They're in the midst of the brush, just off the path that we can't even see, but then we just invariably step upon it. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what the threat is for you. Maybe it's security, economic or physical. Maybe it's approval from from family or from friends. Maybe, Maybe it's success, success as a parent or in your job. I'm not sure where this is for you. I don't know what... where the threat is coming. But it's in the midst of these good things, right? I mean, it's right to want approval. It's right to want to be loved, to be secure, to care for your family, to provide for them. All these things are good, but, but it's when they are twisted ever so slightly that they can easily become a threat to displace Jesus and lead us away from him. To his original hearers, it was the Pharisees. Today? Well, where is that for you? So Jesus is warning. He's warning us about who we are, and he's warning us about the threat that is looming around us. And that's helpful. It's good for us to know these things, right? The danger that's lurking. We we need to know these things. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just warn us, but now he starts getting into what it is that the gate does, why we need this doorway. And the first reason is because he calls us. You see, that's the next thing that Jesus does. He not only warns us, but he calls us. It's what we see in verses 3 and 4. There he says, "...the sheep hear his voice," referring to himself, "...and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." Okay, so what he's saying is that he's calling his sheep out of danger and out of threat, and he's calling us to enter into this place of safety, and he's calling us through himself. You see, this call of Jesus is actually a call to himself. That's what he says in verse 9. Read there, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the image is that we enter into this place of security, this place of safety. Jesus invites us in, and this image of pasture actually invokes in us this idea of satisfaction and sustenance, a place of care. This is the place in which he calls us into. And for those who Jesus calls, we can't help but hear him. We can't help but listen and follow. We know his voice. That's what he says, right? He calls his own sheep by name. I mean, how, how comforting is that to know? He calls you by name. He calls you by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. Even before we had heard it for the first time, as soon as we heard it that first time, we knew it was his. It's like the, the infant that's in her mother's womb. Studies have actually been uh, have shown that an infant in the womb can recognize her mother's voice. Isn't that amazing? That before the baby is even born, before the mother looks upon her daughter or her son or holds him or her in her arms, that infant knows his mother's voice. And the same is true for us. You see when Jesus first called us when he first called us out of our sin into himself he was stirring in our heart that faint echo of what we had always longed for but we didn't even realize we longed for it until we heard it that voice that we were made to hear that voice that reverberates throughout the creation calling us to the one that we have always needed this This is why the disciples, when they first heard his call, they put down their nets and they left everything and they followed him. This is why when we first heard that call, we actually turned away from those things that were threatening and trying to pull at our hearts and we followed him because we were made to hear this call. Jesus' sheep can't ignore his voice. But I want us to notice something. You notice that Jesus doesn't say why we hear his voice or why he calls us? You notice he doesn't say it's because y'all are the smartest or because y'all are the best or because y'all are the most influential or because I see so much promise in you. He, he doesn't say that you're the most beautiful, or the wealthiest. He doesn't say any of those sorts of things. In fact, it, it's interesting. The Bible never talks about those things when it talks about God calling us. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, God's actually engaging with Israel over that very question, why would I choose you? And in Deuteronomy chapter seven, God says things like, I called you by name. You are my holy people. I have chosen you from all the nations. You are my treasured possession. How about that for a title? God's treasured possession. But he goes on, but why did I do this? Why did I choose choose you out of all the nations? Well, it's not because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you. Because the Lord loves you. Do you hear that? It's not because of what you have done or because of what you bring to the table or because of your pedigree or your family name. It's because the Lord loves you that he calls you. Now I don't know what kind of response that's stirring, what kind of emotion or feeling that's stirring in your heart right now, but, but let me give you two two thoughts for what kind of response that should cause us. The first is gratitude. Thanksgiving. As Christians, we should be the most thankful people in all the world because God has actually called us by name and he has given us life. Gratitude that that we know that we couldn't have found this doorway looking for ourselves, but Jesus doesn't call us to keep searching. He says, it is right here. Walk through it. Thanksgiving at what Jesus has done for us. That's the first response. But the second is humility. Is humility. I, I actually talked about this in the intro class, so, so if you're in there, you guys can just kind of take a breath for now. No, I'm just kidding. You still need to pay attention. Um, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think for uh, for Reformed people, humility can be really hard. So if you're not a Christian here, or if you're uh, new to Presbyterianism, Reformed. When I say Reformed, I'm just talking about a particular theological um, theological understanding of the Bible. Okay, it's it's the doctrine that we affirm. And for Reformed people, this can actually be really hard because Reformed people like to be right, don't we? <laughs> Right, We like to be right, and we like theological precision and biblical accuracy. And these things are really good. Right, it, it, It's really good to want to be theologically correct. But as we are theologically correct about all of our doctrine, we need to also be theologically correct about the doctrine of who we are. And who are we? We're sheep. Dependent creatures, apart from the grace of God, wandering towards death. And of all the the, uh, Christian theological understandings, it is the Reformed who should understand that the most. And that should cause us to be humble. To be humble, to know that we are undeserving, that apart from God, we'd be left to be destroyed by thieves and robbers. I have a friend of mine, um, his name is Frank Brown. Frank uh, went to be with the Lord about six months ago. Frank was an elderly man, and he was so gracious and gentle and humble. He, he was an awesome guy. Everyone loved Frank. And there was something about Frank that, that he did to almost everyone that he talked to. In fact, at his funeral, we did this call and response of Frank's favorite saying, and everyone knew it. But Frank, you would go up to him, you would shake his hand, and you would say, how you doing, Frank? And he would look you straight in the eye, and he'd get this little, little grin on his face, and he would go, better than I deserve, brother. Better than I deserve. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes uh, when people say that, it can kind of sound a little trite and kind of false humility and false piety, but, but not with Frank. Not with Frank because you knew, looking into his eyes, that he really believed it. Better than I deserve. I can't help but think that the reason why Frank was one of the most gracious and humble men I've ever known is because he truly believed that. I'm better than I deserve. And that's the truth about us. That what we are deserving is actually destruction, but we're better than we deserve because Jesus, the gate, has called us to himself. And so, friends, that should stir in us thankfulness and humility, and gratitude at what the king of glory has done for you, and what he has done for me. Jesus calls us. He calls us. The door, he calls us, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. Jesus goes further, and he guards us. Look at verses 7 through 8. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Keep going in verses nine and 10. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, now it doesn't sound like he's guarding here. Like where, where am I getting this from? Well, one of the things we have to understand is about what a sheep pen looked like in the Middle East. So a sheep pen had four sides to it, as we can probably imagine, and there was a gap. There was an entryway. Now this entryway wasn't blocked by a door like we think of it, right? Like a door on a hinge that they just closed and locked. It was just an opening. And so there's this uh, Old Testament professor, uh, Scottish Old Testament professor from the late 18 and 1900s. His name was Sir George Adam Smith. He was walking. uh, He was on a trip to the Middle East, and he's walking around, and he comes upon this shepherd. And he's got his flock of sheep. And so he starts talking to him, right? Because it's like shepherd, great, you know, uh, classroom fodder, right? I need to talk to this dude. So he starts talking to him and the, the shepherd leads him to his pen and shows him the pen. And it's exactly what I described, four sides and an opening. And the shepherd says to, to this professor, to Dr. Smith, he says, um, when the sheep are inside at night, they're perfectly safe. Nothing can harm them. And so, you know, Dr. Smith, he's like, well, how can that be? Because there's just an opening. And this is what the shepherd said. This wasn't a Christian, and he's not trying to invoke biblical imagery. He says, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space. And no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no white wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. And then he says, I am the door. This wasn't a Christian saying this, this was just a shepherd. I am the door. And that is what Jesus does. He lays down in the opening. And he guards us. He lays his life down in the place of greatest threat. So that wolves and thieves and robbers, they can't get in. They may want the sheep. They may seek to pursue the sheep, but they can't get in. And the sheep, they can't get out. They're in this place of safety. Jesus uh, keeps us perfectly safe. He guards us. Peter, in 1 Peter, he's, he's talking about this guardianship that Jesus has for us, and he talks about as this eternal life, and he speaks of it as imperishable and undefiled, unfading, and he says that we are guarded. That is the word he uses. We are guarded by God's power for salvation that will be revealed. You see, the life that has been given to us means that neither death nor hell nor Satan nor this world, nothing can separate us from our shepherd's care. That he guards us, that the door, he stands before us, and when the enemy approaches, they are met and they are stopped cold in their tracks by a door that will not open, that will only open for his sheep that will only open for those whom he calls. He guards us. See, Jesus lays down in the place of greatest danger so that thieves and robbers and wolves, they cannot enter. This man who defeated the very threats of this world, those threats that we are now safe from, he defeated by going to the cross and rising again so that he could guard that life that he called us into. This is what he has done for us. He is the door we enter and we find life but he is the door that closes and preserves that life and so friends sheep know that you are a dependent people know that you are called people and that as jesus calls you he keeps you He guards you let's pray father we do thank you that you have sent your son to live and die and rise again, to call us out of death into life and to guard us and preserve for us that life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the doorway to which we enter in and being the door that protects us and guards us. Thank you for your grace. We pray now that as we give to you our tithes and our offerings, that you would use them so that this message of your gospel, of your grace would go forth in our hearts in Roanoke, in our nation and in our world. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.